Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where we break down the hardest-hitting social issues in sports. My name is Tucker Carlson, and with me, as always, is Vladimir Putin. Oh, wait, sorry. Sorry, John, wrong script. My name is Chad Wiley, and with me, as always, is John Nekrasov. And John, speaking of scripted, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. You know, in 1850... The sport of organized football was born. Nope. No, that's also the wrong script. Sorry. No. Wrong script. <laughs> a 45-minute filibuster yeah. on, on world history is not what we need right now, John. I'm so sorry. It's my Russian heritage, I think, flowing through my veins. <laughs> anyway, we are here to talk about the Super Bowl. We are not here to talk about um, infamous world dictator Vladimir Putin. Um, you know, if you want more history uh, refuting his... His strange history, you can go elsewhere, but that's that's not what we're here to do today. We're here to talk about about sports. Yeah, John, I I I want to start. I want to start before we even talk about the game, and I do want to just dive right in. But before we start, right, we should. I do want to talk about the conspiracy because we've we, we've kind of <laughs> haven't been able to podcast about any of the craziness going on. That's very true. And I'm looking. I'm on my phone right now, and I'm looking at a tweet or an X. That was posted at 10.50 p.m. last night from the official Twitter account of President Joe Biden that reads, just like we drew it up. And you left off the fact that there is like a deep fried like image of Joe Biden. That's, like that's the, correct. Uh, just a, a frankly terrifying like demonic image of Joe, um, implying, of course, that all along he had rigged the Super Bowl. Um for I guess for for Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift to endorse his presidential campaign, according according to many members of uh, of a certain political party on uh, social media, I, we really haven't talked about this, and part of me just like doesn't want to talk about it at all, you know, because like what a ridiculous idea, uh, but it's part of our culture. Like, it's yeah, actually I, real. <laughs> I also wouldn't want to talk about it if I didn't have to have serious conversations in my workplace about it. And so I feel like this whole thing has kind of been forced upon me. Yeah. And so we might as well just at least mention here that perhaps the the worst possible outcome for those of us who wanted to refute these conspiracy theories happened because the Chiefs actually did win late in a comeback just, mm-hmm. just weirdness, but you know, like what I'm, when I'm having to defend why that one 49ers player, like walking onto the field, injured himself, like walking, and what like if he got shot in the leg. We don't that's, know. That's the kind of things that I'm having to talk about at what around this game, and it's just very, very strange. Hmm. Yeah, I think I genuinely thought it was a joke at first, like because we've always joked it is a joke. To a de- well, we've always joked to a degree about. Um, the NFL being scripted, right? With the refs, you know, throwing the games for the Patriots or the Chiefs or whatever. Roger Goodell wants certain people to win. The TV companies want certain people to win. Like, it's better for the ratings, yada, yada, yada. That's yeah. not super new. Um, what's new is this being taken to such a mainstream that reporters are asking Andy Reid about this in Super Bowl press conferences, mm-hmm. you know, which which is just, it's a really strange spot that I wouldn't, I feel like it's probably not representative of the whole that the majority of Americans think that the NFL is actually like a scripted or rigged sport in any way. But, but we did reach a point this year as the Chiefs kind of just like shook off their, uh, 
you know, their early season rust and ran all the way to yet another Super Bowl that that the narrative is has never been, in fact, more back. Um, And it was a little it was an odd undertone to this entire year. Yeah, especially the last couple of weeks. But um, I think I think that's all that needs to be said about (laughs) that particular part of the discourse, because honestly, we have so much to talk about from from the game to the halftime show to some news. Um, Briefly, though, John, before we talk about anything football related, I did want to just briefly mention because I'm seeing headlines about it right now. The really, 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 really tragic story of Kelvin Kiptum passing away. I don't know if you're familiar with this story. Um, Is that the marathon runner? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 24 years old. He had just set the record at the Chicago Marathon for the world record. It the the record had actually just been recognized by the I guess international committee last week, and mm-hmm. he was the heavy favorite for the Paris Olympics later this year. And he died at age 24 in a car accident. And um, he was mm-hmm. the driver of a single car collision. And it's just a really really tragic story and you know we obviously don't talk a lot about long distance running on this podcast Mm. but he was obviously supposed to be kind of the next star of that sport and so it's just whenever you see someone dead at age 24 it's obviously tragic but uh Mm. for someone who had been in the news lately it's 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 particularly sad i think yeah it's unbelievable I, i did see that yesterday and wasn't i don't keep up with running that much so it wasn't his name wasn't one i was super familiar with but our our hearts definitely go out to to his family and to the whole running community um i think that's just it's so tragic for a life to be taken that young in such a random way um but also when when you do have so much promise you know i can't imagine someone like i don't know like justin jefferson or something you know right right suddenly dying right now in a moment Mm -hmm. like that yeah it's it's yeah uh definitely for the people who are involved in that community and for his family, obviously condolences mm-hmm. and uh, it'll be, uh, I'm sure the Paris Olympics will feel different without him most mm-hmm. certainly. So yeah. Uh, John, do we want to talk a bit about like our experience at the Super Bowl, or do we want to just jump into the game and save the overall impressions for later? How are you feeling about, about today? I think pod? we should, I think we should start with the football mm-hmm. and then we can wrap around to the, experience the cultural experience because i think the cultural experience ties really well into our conversation about the ads later in my yeah so i want to start because from about from 6 30 the kickoff Mm -hmm. until like 9 30 which was about i don't know end of the third quarter i was hearing at least at my viewing experience i was hearing comments like is it just me or is the super bowl really boring I didn't I didn't necessarily feel that way. Mm-hmm. But it certainly didn't get off to like it didn't have much fireworks for the first three quarters. Uh it did not roar off. Absolutely not. The kickers certainly had their moments to shine. But um I mean looking at the first uh my notes, especially for the first half, like things that were just weird, like with five minutes left in the second in the first half, I think the Kansas City Chiefs had only had three first downs. So like mm-hmm. just completely stagnant, and I, I think we're going to talk quite a bit about the the uh, San Francisco 49ers defense, particularly related to Patrick Mahomes. But really, I don't have. I'm looking at my notes. I don't have anything in all caps until under five minutes to go in the first half, and mm-hmm. it just felt like that first half really, really dragged. Lots of punts, fumbles, nothing really to kickstart it until we really got into it later on 
Yeah, I mean, we had a scoreless first quarter in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Like, that yeah. is that is not the rip-roaring start that we want. The last time I remember a start as slow to a Super Bowl uh, was the um, infamous Patriots-Rams mm-hmm. Super Bowl from, like, mm-hmm. five years ago. Yeah. And that that was a snooze fest, right? Not, not a great um, game. I was worried as we started. You know, I think these are two really good teams that I did kind of trust to ultimately, like, start finding their gears. Um, but I was worried as this is the first half wore on that we were going to get a game that maybe had shades of that, uh, that infamous Super Bowl. It did heat up in the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll get there. And obviously we'll get there. I think kind of the story of the first half though was, was ultimately the story of the 49ers for me. And I think, I think that's kind of where I, obviously the chiefs ended up winning. That's no surprise to you if you're listening to it at this point. Um, but I think the first half is kind of the story of why the 49ers lost, in my mind. Um, and that's because there were a lot of question marks about the 49ers defense coming into this game. Um, because they had just been really soft, to be totally honest. Like, they had not been good um, on basically any metric that you rank defenses on, which is strange given the amount of defensive talent they have. Um but they came into this game and just shut Patrick Mahomes down for almost the entire first half. Um, drive yeah. after drive after drive. I yeah. think it was, I think they went maybe nine drives without scoring. It was something. They, Mahomes didn't look like himself. And when that first half ended at 10 3 for the Niners, I. I felt like there was an opportunity for the Niners to punch the Chiefs in the throat and finish things out and build a big lead. Um, And they had two big turnovers. Obviously, McCaffrey fumbled early in the first half, um, but then Pacheco fumbled later in the first half. And then Patrick Mahomes comes right out of the gates in the second half and throws a pick to start Mm -hmm. the second half. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have two huge moments where... The Chiefs cough the ball up, and the 49ers have the opportunity to, after good plays on defense, make something happen. In both times, zero points from those drives. Yeah. And that, to, to me, is the story. Yeah. Just just to fact check, their 10th drive was their first touchdown. In their first oh, their nine first drives, drive. they had two field goals. Their first field goal came on their fifth drive of the game. Fifth drive. Really, really late cool. in, the, in the first mm-hmm. quarter. So... Right. Yeah. Um. Are really really late in the second quarter. Sorry, not the first quarter. The second quarter, because the first quarter, like we said, was was scoreless. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I think if you had told me at halftime that the result that the game that if the second half was going to be a repeat of the first half, I think that I obviously the Niners would have won. And honestly, I think that the my favorite for MVP would have been Nick Bosa, as hmm, as as the leader of a defensive line that ran a perfectly executed game against Patrick Mahomes. It honestly reminded me a lot of when the Buccaneers went out and beat Patrick Mahomes in a Super Bowl, where exactly right. what they were able to do was get pressure on Mahomes without blitzing for the first three quarters of the game. And that's exactly what you have to do because Mahomes was incredibly uncomfortable 
and he would try to move, but they were getting pressure on him, and he couldn't. Ha- he just didn't have any options to throw to. He was constantly pump faking. I remember the play right at the end of the uh, second quarter when they're in the red zone, and there's the third down, and Mahomes like does like a a jump pass pump fake, and then to get sacked, and mm-hmm. again, there's just he had nobody open. Uh, Kyle Kelsey didn't have an entire didn't have a catch until three minutes to go in the uh, first half and I just felt like the Niners had drawn up the perfect defense against him led by mm-hmm. Nick Bosa getting pressure on the quarterback and it just yeah like I mean we'll get to it but it didn't hold but while it was good it was really really good yeah and I think it has to it, to me the defense did their job in that first half um, and we saw the offense led by Brock Purdy just not produce at the level they needed to. Um, I don't think Purdy was bad in this game by any stretch. Um, and I don't think McCaffrey was bad. Obviously, he had a pretty productive day, um, including a touchdown. But this Niners team did not fire on all cylinders in the way it needed to to make this game secure. And that's what exactly what I said last time we podcasted. Mm-hmm. The Niners can't... The In any version of this game, the Niners do not win a close game where Mahomes gets the ball in his hands with the last drive of the game to decide the game. Right. The Niners lose every single one of those those situations. So that for them to win, they had to make sure that they were on top on that last drive, in my mind. And they put themselves in the situation twice where they gave Mahomes the ball to decide the fate of the game. Obviously, the first time, he just ended up tying it. But the second time, he got it done. And I think I think that lies on Kyle Shanahan. That lies on Brock Purdy. Um, you know, I'm not going to blame McCaffrey. I think he, had a, he did as much as he could. Um, but I don't know. I think you have to know going into that game that your game plan can't just be trust your defense to hold out against Mahomes. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. Although you could ask, uh, you can ask Josh Allen about how hard it is to do to do clock management <laughs> sure. against Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. The reality is there is no amount of time on the clock that is safe when it comes to Patrick Mahomes. Um, before we get to the second half, John, I just want to mention the first real highlight of the game, which was that trick play touchdown, uh, mm-hmm. where Brock Purdy takes the snap and throws. A what looks like a screen pass to the right side of the field, and that pass was to Juwan uh, Jennings. Yeah, Juwan Jennings, mm-hmm. who then throws a second screen back all the way over to the left side of the field to Christian McCaffrey, who runs it in for a touchdown. It's an awesome, awesome play. It really it was beautiful. Sparked that team for a little bit. It was a very deserved score after the way that their defense had been holding up against Mahomes, and it was just a really, really fun, fun play. Yeah, I would just mm-hmm. say it was it was a lot of fun. It was delightful. Jawan Jennings, noted uh, Nashville native, you know, went to a school in Murfreesboro, so that's why nice. we're all very familiar with him. Yeah, nice. <laughs> uh, shout out. Um, I don't know. Do you want to do you want to move on to the second half? Because I feel like that's where our storylines really start there. Yeah, it's obviously where the action is. And I think what's really interesting about this is that in the first half, we get the record-breaking field goal, just distance, 
mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl at 55 yards by Moody. Did that surprise you? That, that 55 yards was the new record? Yeah. I think so. Although, as Super Bowls have moved indoors more, like, they used to play Super Bowls outside in the elements where mm-hmm. kicking's harder. And so they, I I think that, that would have surprised me because obviously that, that, would, that would not be the, the league record. No, but in I the Super Bowl, yeah. yeah. I mean, there have only been two overtime Super Bowl games out of 58. So obviously things are rarer in the Super Bowl than just across the board. Right. But then uh, at the end of the... Um, Right there in the third quarter, we get the the new the, that record lasted for about a quarter because then uh, Harrison Bucker kicks a field goal that goes 57 yards, which as of today now is the record for the longest field goal kicked in the Super Bowl. That field goal cut the score to 10-6, Niners, and after that came what I think is the defining momentum turning play of the game, which is the Chiefs punt that goes mm-hmm. off the foot of the 49ers uh, blocker. That's a muffed punt. The Chiefs recover it in the red zone, immediately score a touchdown, take the lead 14-10, to 10, and at that point you feel like the momentum has now shifted. And they didn't put up enough points to put the Chiefs away early, and now here the Chiefs come. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment to me where I think you're right. This game completely changed. And all of a sudden, like, if you're rooting for the Niners in that moment, your heart starts to sink. Because you, we, how many times have we seen this story, right? Literally, so how many. many times? So many. And I think, <clears throat> well, we've now seen it three full times, right? <laughs> oh, I mean, just in the Super Bowl. So many just times. Just in the Super Bowl. So many times, yeah. just in the Super Bowl. Yeah. But we've seen it in so many games that Mahomes has played in, right? Um, and I kind of want to focus on Mahomes for a second here because. What we saw out of him in this game was, I think, a number one, a much better performance than the performance he won the Super Bowl with last year. Um, when you even just looking at the box score in a much higher scoring game against the Eagles, um, he had 182 passing yards and 44 rushing yards. Mm-hmm. Um, he did have three touchdowns. In this game, he had 333 passing yards and 66 rushing yards. Yeah. Um, so I mean, he was he was doing the work to basically lift the team when no one else was fully able to produce on the offense. Um, He got Travis Kelsey into the game, who had been, like you said earlier, completely anonymous. Um, Kelsey finished with a huge contribution that in many ways had some pivotal plays that kept their season going um, and kept their championship hopes alive. And their third down percentage was 9 of 19. And when you compare that to the Niners at three for 12, uh, the story of the game is kind of there for you right yeah. there for me. Yeah, sure. Um, you look at Mahomes making things count down the stretch. Um, and obviously we'll, we can finish out talking about overtime in a little bit here. But <clears throat> I don't know, man. He just he made the right plays. Sometimes he had to run a little bit. Um, but most of the time it was just taking the smart passes. He really didn't chuck it around very much. Um, But I was just so impressed at how smartly he played this game, other than that one interception. Um, This was very much, to me, a game that Tom Brady could have played in his prime. Like, you just replaced them with each other, and it it really wouldn't look that much different, you know? Um, Which I think is a serious testament to just how good 
this version of Patrick Mahomes is in making the players around him better. You you see a guy take control of a game and just by being smart, by not making mistakes, by managing the clock well, at least most of the time. Um, and and I think that that, that singular drive ultimately is the beginning of the end for the Niners. So I think you're absolutely right on that. Yeah, I mean, we... I guess it was three years ago now where we were coming off the Super Bowl when the Chiefs Mm -hmm. lost to the Buccaneers. And we were talking about if Patrick Mahomes had made some of the greatest throws we'd ever seen in any Super Bowl ever. Like he had the one where he was like throwing and his whole body was like parallel to the ground as he's like getting sacked and, and making incredible throws and using his athleticism. And we didn't obviously see that tonight. We haven't seen that version of Mahomes this season and Mm -hmm. a lot of the conversation we've been having is about whether or not the less flashy version of Mahomes is actually the better quarterback I think you and I agree that this is probably the most successful version of Patrick Mahomes albeit not the most fun version of Patrick Mahomes (laughs) right and in terms of his now four Super Bowl performances um in terms of what is great entertainment, I'll take the one from four years ago. But in terms of which one would like the coaches be happiest about, mm-hmm. if you if you ignore that one interception tonight, which was really, really bad, an inexcusable interception. Beyond that, I think Amy Reid would say, this is the version of Patrick Mahomes I want to see. It's, it's safer. It's still mm-hmm. really crisp. It's still really efficient. It's It's more efficient than in the past, even though... He's not going to be on Sports Center top ten as much as he was four and three years ago. So, well, I think that's exactly right. And I mean, to be honest, when when that Super Bowl ended against Tom Brady, I remember saying at the end of that that he shot himself in the foot. Obviously, he had a terrible O line, um, which I think was a huge story uh, throughout that season and ultimately helped decide that Super Bowl. Um, but you saw the difference between and a really experienced legendary quarterback who wasn't going to move around a whole lot, but knew when to take his moments both in that Super Bowl and also in the AFC champ, AFC championship the year before, um, or I guess two years before, um, you know, Brady is two and O against Mahomes in the playoffs, I think for that exact reason. And I think what we're seeing now, both last year and especially this year is a Mahomes that has matured, that knows that, he shouldn't be making those throws just because they look fun because ultimately, unfortunately football is not about fun. It's about winning when you're on a team like the chiefs. Yeah. Right. We've reached the point that dynasties are not built on fun. And the reality is the chiefs have built a dynasty. Um, They were fun at first and now they win. They win football games. That's just the reality here. Um, They win ugly. You know, sometimes you complain about the refs. Um, They win physical. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you saw like the maximum version of this. It, they remind me very much of like what Germany soccer has been over the last like 50 years, which is basically a team that really does not care about friendly competitions and, you know, one-off games, um, qualifier rounds. They don't care. They're there to win tournaments ultimately. And the Chiefs are becoming that team that – People have said, you know, they were bo- they looked bored 
throughout the regular season. And they locked in um, this year. And I think, honestly, full marks to them. You know, I it's not like I want them to win, but I think this run has been incredibly impressive. They've disarmed every team in front of them. Um, and I think the rest of the story of the narrative of this game shows exactly that. Yeah. John, I do want to get to the end of the game in overtime and talk about mm-hmm. some of the coaching decisions and the other things going on because I was preparing, actually at two points, I was preparing for uh, clock management criticisms of the Chiefs if things mm-hmm. didn't go well. Obviously, sure. things turned out fine. But I had noted um, that they didn't use one of their timeouts before the two-minute warning when the Niners were driving with the ball which I think if the Niners had scored a touchdown instead of just a field goal, could have come back to bite them. And then if they had happened to lose in overtime, I would have brought up the fact that with six seconds left in the game, the Chiefs didn't run one more play from from scrimmage uh, with the six seconds left rather than just kick the field goal right away. Obviously, hindsight being what it is, it worked out fine. Janie Reid did exactly what he needed to do to win the game. But... I think, you know, there were a couple of scenarios in which that could have gone poorly for them. And mm-hmm. instead, uh, the criticism goes to Kyle Shanahan. Uh, it, to, to put the timeline together in case you need a refresher, the, the, the Niners go on a drive and kick a field goal right after the two-minute warning. The Chiefs drive down the field and they kick a field goal with six seconds left and send the game to overtime. In overtime, with the new rule changes, which I'm sure we'll get into... <laughs> the 49ers win the coin toss and elect to receive the ball first. Now, obviously, both teams now get possession of the ball in playoff overtime as a result of the Chiefs-Bills game, the game that you and I called the greatest playoff game in NFL history. Mm-hmm. Um, in the aftermath of that game, we have these new rules. And uh, so the Niners get the ball first. They get to make the statement opening drive. And they settle for a field goal, John. And when you're playing against Patrick Mahomes, I understand it's guaranteed points and it puts pressure on Mahomes because he has to deliver in that spot. But at the, on the other end of that coin, it is Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> right. It's not like, it's not like I'm going to kick a field goal and put pressure on Baker Mayfield or even mm-hmm. Jared Goff. Like this is a known quantity. We know what he does in these spots. Yeah. I. To me, in the moment, I didn't kill Shanahan for that. Me either. To be honest. Me either. Um, and retrospectively, because of that, I don't want to. I don't want to hit him too hard because I understand the decision. Um, that drive almost stalled because of a couple of bad passes from Purdy mm-hmm. um, right at the beginning. Uh, they got, the they got helped by a couple of penalties as well. Mm-hmm. So a holding call. Went against the Chiefs for once in overtime. That was a pretty big first down spot. That's um, not how Joe Biden wrote it. That's not how Joe Biden wrote <laughs> it. It's exactly right. And in that moment, I was like, okay, nice. I was like, all right, we're, we're not going to have a stupid game here. Um, and they made it all the way um, into the Chiefs half. And then I think it was at fourth and four. No, well, it would have been third and four at the time. Um and Purdy tries to roll out and throw a pass to Jawan Jennings, um, basically in the end zone, and he was wide open. Yeah. Um, but Chris Jones 
who just had an absolutely enormous game for the Chiefs, was in his face literally within a second, essentially, mm-hmm. um, from snapping the ball. And Purdy overthrows Jennings, um, gets to fourth down, and you know in that moment, at fourth and four, Shanahan has to decide, is he going to go for it and try to get a touchdown, or is he just going to take the safe points, right? And I think in that moment, maybe if it's fourth and two, maybe he goes for it. Um, but I think in that moment, Given how Purdy's playing, I understand the decision to take the points and hope for the best. Um, And so this decision, I don't love it, but I get it. I don't understand winning the coin toss and choosing to not defer. Yeah. How many times are we going to give Patrick Mahomes the ball to decide Super Bowls? Like how how many times? It just yeah, keeps but, happening every single time. Somehow he always has it. <laughs> John, let me, let me play devil's advocate though. When you're in a sure. when you're in a soccer penalty shootout, you always want to kick first because it puts the pressure on the other team. You, you always do. want you always want to score first and put leave the pressure on the second team. So, like, why do you think it was a bad decision from that regard? Do you feel like football is the same though? I don't know. It feels to me like the the emotions. Of a penalty shootout, like, psychologically, obviously, you have to respond every time. But I think there is a there's a de- decreased pressure on each individual person in a football drive compared to a penalty shootout. Maybe I think a decreased you, you, it's easier to get in your each, own head. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, like, <clears throat> it's gonna the, mean. but, like, Mahomes has to consider the fact that any fumble, any right. interception— or of a lot not converting ends the game immediately. Mm-hmm. Like that's pressure. Right. Like one bad throw can end the game. One yeah. bumbled snap can end the game. Like that's it's not quite the same as a penalty shootout, but it is the same concept. I think sure. the difference here is that Patrick Mahomes has proven to be unfaisable as mm-hmm. compared. So I I think in Shanahan's situation, maybe there's less of that than if it was a different game. But I don't think as a definite football rule, you should always defer in I agree. overtime. But my question is, should you always defer to Patrick Mahomes? There's the question that we need to be asking. <laughs> in, in that case, it, yeah. The benefit that you get going second is that you know exactly what you need. If right. they get a touchdown, you know you need a touchdown plus a two-point conversion. If they get a field goal, you know you need a touchdown. If they don't convert, you know you need a field goal. So you don't have to – you can just go up to the 30-yard line, stop, and kick it and win the game. So you do you do know what you need. So you can plan better in that regard. Kyle mm-hmm. Shanahan doesn't know what they're going to do, so he has to try to decide. The pros and cons of the kick of the field goal, it's, it's a really hard decision. It's why I would never take the money to be a head coach. Right. It's a, it's a really really tough decision because if you go for it, you might get the touchdown. Even if you don't, they're pinned back at the nine yard line versus a touchback to get up at the twenty five. At that point, you're in the range for a safety that might end the game. There's a lot of reasons to do it. The reasons to kick the field goal, guaranteed points, puts the pressure on Mahomes. It means at least you scored. So I mean, it's really 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 hard. And the tough thing, right, is that. They lean on their defense in that moment, and a couple times they almost get to an actual legit stop. Mm-hmm. Like they had the opportunity. Um, there was a fourth and one, and Mahomes just does what he does he in runs that it. moment. Yeah, he just runs it. Does an option, runs, 
Easy first down. And then he runs it again a few plays later and gashes them up the middle. Um, and we were just talking about this earlier, but the whole, the win probability just shifts from Niners, huge percentage, all the way down to Chiefs winning the game percentage. Um, and I don't know, this drive to me is, we're going to talk about the Patrick Mahomes kind of status in the Pantheon mm-hmm. in a second here. But this drive to me just yet again underlines like people who try to like diminish Patrick Mahomes' legacy. You know, I'm still on Team Brady. I don't hide that. Um, the people who try to like act like he is not one of the sole reasons this team is one of the greatest NFL teams ever, uh, I don't get it. Yeah. John, do you think that Andy Reid didn't get the memo that Travis Kelsey was supposed to catch the winning touchdown and not McCall Hardman? Like, <laughs> what happened there? Because everything was I think going that was payback. Until... That was payback for the shove. <laughs> Which we completely glossed over. We did. What truly was the craziest moment of the game, which is the Chiefs, and this is back in the first half, but the Chiefs uh, get the ball in the red zone and immediately fumble. And Travis Kelsey's not in the game for that play. And, I mean, he runs up to Andy Reid screaming. And, like, I mean, does he push him or just, like, chest bump him? Like, He kind of, makes- like, he doesn't extend necessarily that I remember. But he, like, he makes bodily contact yeah, and knocks he- Andy off his, like, off balance. Yeah, it was weird. It was really, really bizarre. Very strange. And then Kelsey didn't get the game winning touchdown which was it means that the american dream is not real and <laughs> <laughs> no obviously I'm, I'm kidding um yeah, i mean but- i would like to say yeah it, it was a really weird moment um don't do that to your coach no uh, never this was a i this did really feel like i don't know if, if all the swifties who have who've joined the nfl this year didn't know who travis Kelsey was. Uh, I feel like this was a game to really kind of get to know him in a really intimate, <laughs> intimate way. <laughs> we yeah. got the full experience. Yeah. You got the Viva Las Vegas. You got the shoving the coach. You got incredible football plays. And then mm-hmm. you got, uh, you know, just peak drama and soapbox uh, TV at the end there. Um, and that is the Travis Kelsey experience. It, it is. And uh, it was a roller coaster. He really had, a, he had an amazing <laughs> second half in overtime. He was absolutely Mr. incredible. It, 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 again, uh, we're going to make a lot of comparisons to the Patriots and to Tom Brady, but like mm-hmm. he is the Rob Gronkowski, which is oh, absolutely. He's the option. Rob Gronkowski was the option that Tom Brady always knew he had. If he needed mm-hmm. anything, he could find that guy, throw him the ball, and it was going to be a catch. And Kelsey is that guy. That's. Oh, I mean, let's just say it for what it is. Tom Brady, and Rob Gronkowski, and Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey are the two greatest players in their respective positions of all time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, it's just, like, not a, even a disputable fact. Like... <laughs> I think that's right, yeah. Yeah. Genuinely, they're, I mean, one of the most incredible pairings of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and each of them have just dominated the league. And yeah. Kelsey is aging. There was rumors, you know, maybe he would retire. He clearly is not going to. Um, he's going to keep going and go for number three. So is Andy um, Reid. He said Andy Reid. So said is Andy Reid. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? You know, in this spot, you have a team that literally, no matter how bad they seem to be, can still win Super Bowls. Um, and I think that's a remarkable 
testament to Andy Reid's coaching. Ultimately, it's a testament to Steve Spagnuolo's coaching on the defense, who we haven't mm-hmm. given a lot of love to in this episode. Um, but the Chiefs' defense was absolutely incredible throughout this game. Yeah. Um, you know, not perfect, but when they needed to, they pressured Purdy. They made an inexperienced quarterback look solid, but inexperienced ultimately. Um, you yeah. know, Purdy, I think to me, this game tells me a couple things. One, the Chiefs will be a Super Bowl contender. Um, every year that Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid are on the same team. That's number one. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Not writing them off anymore. I've, I'm done making this mistake. <laughs> Think finally, finally. <laughs> Number two, Brock Purdy is legit. Mm-hmm. Um, he was not Super Bowl winning caliber tonight, but I thought he was really quite good for being a quarterback in the spot that he's in as someone who is essentially undrafted. You know, didn't play at a super high profile college situation. Um, and ended up in the spot he's in and played almost mistake-free in the Super Bowl. Um, Is that good enough to beat Patrick Mahomes? Not really, you know, but did we really expect it to be? Also not really. Um, I think that he showed that he will be a long-term starter in the NFL tonight. Um, Playing like that under pressure is not something that comes, you know, just by accident. So I feel like like he's worth getting a little bit of flowers for, for what he did today. There are much better quarterbacks who have had an inability to not win against Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. In fact, there there are there are only two quarterbacks who have accomplished that feat, and they're just two complete ballers. So, absolutely, yeah. Um, do you want to? Do we, should we do the legacy stuff? I think it's. I think it's time, Chad. Chad, we have a question for you. The listeners have a question for you. Is Patrick <laughs> Mahomes the goat? Of course, of course he is. So it's a. It's a. Of course. Yeah, I don't. I don't I, know why we continue. Patrick to have this Mahomes debate. himself says that he's not the goat. I, this is why we're talking about this. Patrick Mahomes is a very, <laughs> a very nice and modest young man who is going to leave that conversation <laughs> to the rest of us. No, look, per on a per game basis, per season basis, sure. he has he's better than Tom Brady. If you if you combine individual and team accomplishments, that's just a fact. Through six seasons? Through six seasons. They have have the same numbers of will wins. They both Mm -hmm. did the repeat. Tom Brady had zero MVPs in his first six seasons. Patrick Mahomes has two. Tom Brady has two or one Super Bowl. No, two Super Bowl MVPs. And Mahomes has three now. Like, he's he's just better over his first six seasons. He's made the AFC Championship every single season of his he's played. Mm-hmm. He was the number one seed every single year except for this year, and this year he won the Super Bowl. And I mean, if the goat debate is always difficult, right? Because you're balancing peak and longevity, mm-hmm. the 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 best at the moment, and then the 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 span of the career. And obviously, seven is more than three. But Thank Patrick you. Mahomes is. <laughs> Thank you for letting I, us know. I, I can do math, yes. But, but Patrick Mahomes is 28 years old, and right. again, like on a per game basis, he's better. We can't like it's not like nobody's saying Alex Smith is better than Patrick Mahomes because he played a lot more seasons. Like it, there's a it's a it's a it's a weight you have to weigh both things, and right. 
on a Alex per Smith did season. Not win seven Super Bowls, though. So no, no, no but just, he played. Let's, let's he played, make this clear. <laughs> but, right, but like my point is that it can't just be longevity either. It has to be both. It's not just no. He has to be longest. great longevity. That's sure. the difference. <laughs> okay, Peyton Manning. I'll use Peyton sure. Manning as an example. Less, yeah. less, but but longevity. Brady obviously mm-hmm. has the most and the longevity, but right. but Mahomes is doing it at a faster and better pace than Brady is, and. Mm-hmm. I'm not at this point. I'm not even going to say if he keeps it up, he will be the greatest. Because if anyone, if someone comes up to me in 60 years and says, "Hey, Chad, I'm the," I guess I'm 85 at this point. Like, who's the best football player you saw as of 2024? The answer is Patrick Mahomes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I think I understand that argument. Um, I kind of see this the same way I see like the the Messi Maradona Pele debate, um, which in the sport of football is like Joe Montana Tom Brady. Patrick Mahomes. No, I don't think we can. Any of us question that Patrick Mahomes is in that echelon of greats. And I think he's. I don't know if this is sacrilege, but I I think he's above Joe Montana for sure. Um, for me, Tom Brady is unquestionably the goat as of right now. And this is to a degree a tedious debate, you know, it, because it, the it numbers is, are yeah. ultimately always what what like we measure this by. Um, to me, when you're asking who is the greatest athlete in the sport, I think it's it's a thing that your in the entirety of your career has to have surpassed the entirety of every other player's career, which we talked about this a little bit last night. Um, and to me, I think I've always held out on your Mahomes take because the question of whether his style of football could last until he was 45 and surpass Tom Brady was the question that I had um, because it felt like he was just trying to do too much all the time um, after that first Super Bowl win. I think what we've seen in the last two years is that he is adapting to become just a slightly more mobile version of Brady, ultimately, with, I think, a stronger arm. But he is, he's adapting his game to look like the current greatest player of all time uh, did so that he could play until he was 45. Um, and I think that I'm not giving him that crown yet, but I think if he continues to play like this and adapt his game to protect himself and his body, I think it's totally possible that he could get to eight Super Bowls. It's not an impossibility. Um, I mean, I think he'll be at seven before he turns 40. Do you really think he'll win four more Super Bowls? Four and 12? Next, and 12. I think it's possible. Four and twelve sounds completely reasonable. Well, I mean, I guess my question is like, how long? I think the chief, the next Chiefs rebuild will be interesting. Well, let me ask. Um, let me let me put it this way, John. Who mm-hmm. who if you had to pick a team right now to win the twenty twenty five Super Bowl, who would you pick? The Baltimore Ravens. No, okay, no, no, that's not true. <laughs> You're lying. <laughs> I mean, I think as long as Kelsey's there, I think I keep pick, keep picking them. Is where I'm at. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think we are yet to see a weapon that is going to be able to help Mahomes carry these games come through the ranks, and Mahomes does need at least one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Michael Hardman. And Marquez Valdez Gantling are uh, are not going to win you Super Bowls. No, but, but their turnover right? has so. been. I mean, they had a lot of offensive turnover this year. They lost Juju mm-hmm. Smith-Schuster and Tyreek Hill 
and their terrible. offensive coordinator. They lost Eric Bieniemy, and they still—I mm-hmm. mean, no, there was no letdown from those those three. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, Juju barely played. Let's be real. Um, yeah, he fair, was not good. But... <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I'm right there with you. I think that, I think we're looking at a Chiefs dynasty that probably has, in my mind, three, three more Super Bowls in it. Yeah. Let me do. It's possible he could go to another team eventually too. Honestly, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. But but I think he'll match Brady's six. Yeah, I mean one team. He's halfway there and he's been there for six years. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let me just say, and this is a bit of a, this is a bit of a, a soapbox issue for me, but <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of Chiefs fatigue that I'm seeing in the discourse, and mm-hmm. there was a lot of Brady fatigue when he played for the Patriots, and I'll admit I was part of the fatigue. Yeah. So was I. Let's but I think we need to reconsider how we feel about great people. Because in the moment, it can be frustrating. It can feel like there's not parody or anything. But when you look back on it in the course of history, we I mean, it, it's it's just cool to experience greatness. Mm-hmm. And like nobody, when, when kids ask their grandpas, what was it like to watch Michael Jordan? Nobody says... Oh man, I just wish the New York Knicks had had the chance to win more championships. <laughs> they say Michael Jordan won six, and actually he could have won eight in a row if he hadn't gone and played baseball. Nobody thinks about who who they were keeping from other championships. It's about the greatness, and I think that we, at least I, am going to try hard to appreciate this in the moment as much as we all are going to appreciate it twenty years from now. And 20 years from now, no one's going to be, what did you think about Patrick Mahomes? Oh, man, poor Josh Allen. Mahomes was just always in his way. They're going to be like, son, grandson, I saw Patrick Mahomes. And that's, that's awesome. We're all, we're, all going, we're all going to say that, no matter how you feel about it in the moment. Speech. <laughs> that's how I feel. I don't know. I think I, I wouldn't say I fully agree. And to this argument, I raise you the Messi and Ronaldo debate um, that kind of existed basically for our entire ad- youths and adolescence. Um, I think it's really cool to see a great player. I think it's better to see multiple great players. Um, and so I think you're right that in the long run, we'll be able to look back at these runs and be like, Patrick Mahomes is a legend. You know, we're seeing it happen before our eyes. Um, but I also don't, I think like when you look at Messi and Ronaldo playing the same league together, um, two of essentially the greatest players to have ever played the world's most popular sport, that like that rivalry defined an entire generation. And I think for sports to be really compelling, you need consistent rivalries that can push each other. Um, the Patriots never fully had that, I wouldn't say. But Brady definitely had his rivals that would push him, you know. And to be honest, I mean, I think Allen's the closest to that. Burrow's beaten him once in the playoffs. But I don't feel like there's anyone on Mahomes' caliber right now. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like that's a shame. Yeah. And like obviously, like even Jordan had rivals he had to overcome. Like he had to overcome mm-hmm. the Pistons to win his first yeah. title. But once he won his first one, they just came in bunches. And mm-hmm. nobody can I mean, I don't like. Can you name even the teams he played in the finals most of those years? I don't, not to put you on the spot, but like, 
Chad, how much NBA history do you think I know? But, like, my, but that's, my point is you know Michael Jordan. Yeah, no, of course. But you can't, <laughs> Absolutely. You, you can't name a single one of his 90s rivals. Could I name a, every single NBA team? There's a real question. That's a great question. <laughs> yeah. but, that, but that's my point. When, when we're in the discourse yeah. as a culture, right? obviously the, there, there are like the, the diehards, but like just in the culture, if we don't remember Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson's names— that's not going to be because that's not going to be because they weren't good players. It's mm-hmm. because they were trying to hit an immovable object who stood in their way and said, "This is my time." And I don't think that we're going to discount that in the history books. Nobody's going to think, "Oh man, Patrick Mahomes must have been playing against scrubs because he won all these awards." Like those mm-hmm. of us who were here, we know that people were good. We just know right. Mahomes was better. So though I do, I want to talk a little bit. I think we should talk a little bit about this NFL season as a whole. Um, well, can we do one more? I, we we got to do one more thing first. What do we have to do? We have to talk about Taylor Swift. You're right. We do. We do. And I think. I mean, do you want to do? Do you want to talk about the NFL season first or Taylor Swift first? Does Taylor think, Swift sum all of this oh, up? Oh, interesting. Or do we, is she? Oh, uh, interesting. Is I feel she, like. No, I think you're right. I think yeah. I think I think she's she's like the she's the bow on top of the season. To me. This wraps back around, though, because the Chiefs did not play scrubs. You know, they were underdogs in, I think, every playoff game this year. Is that right? Uh, Probably not to the Dolphins. No, but in the in the divisional but against round and the conference round. Yeah, all the road games. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So against the Bills, the Ravens, and the, and Niners, the Niners. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, they did not play scrub teams. Mm-hmm. However... This year was a really weird year, um, and I think that we did see the Chiefs kind of shake off their rust and hit another level and fully deserve to win a Super Bowl. I, there's really no controversy to me about the way they got here in terms of refereeing decisions and anything like that. Like They just they pounded their way through every team in the AFC um, that was any good at all and then won the Super Bowl. This is um, a lot coming from you because you're the first to go on the Chiefs refs agenda when you see a problem. I 100% am. So yeah. I'm just saying I yeah. saw nothing. There was all, genuinely almost nothing that I could like be like, oh, see, there it is again. Yeah. Um, but what we did see this year, I think, was a lack of other teams stepping up in the absence of a great Chiefs team. By every metric, this Chiefs team was not a great team. Even in the Super Bowl, Mahomes locked in late on, but they were quite poor at times for a lot of this game, um, which any team can be poor. You know, I'm not going to say that they like had a bad performance, but this is not the Chiefs team of a few years ago that yeah. really did just power through every team in the league. Um, what we saw in the league this season was a lot of teams that just did not want to win, um, that were not good enough to win. You look, look at I'm looking at you Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, the Dallas Cowboys. You're out here. The Dallas Cowboys, the Baltimore Ravens, um even the Buffalo Bills. I think the Buffalo Bills honestly gave them the best game out of a yeah, lot of for sure. out yeah. of a lot of these teams, you know, and the Buffalo Bills barely even made the playoffs. Um but you look at these teams that are supposed to be, you know, contenders to knock the Chiefs off the top. And not a single one of them was good enough to knock off the worst version of the Chiefs since Patrick Mahomes came to the NFL. 
And I think that's a that's sort of serious indictment of the state of the rest of the league right now. I, I wouldn't say that they're scrubs. Um, and it was a fun year, but I think when you have all that constant too much parity, essentially, um, that means that you don't, there's not a lot of talent, you know? And I think that yeah. that is an issue that we're seeing right now. And I don't really know why. It's really interesting that you say that because everything you just said is true. And yet, yep. if someone still asked me, how's the NFL right now? I would say it's amazing. Like, the quality of players across mm-hmm. the board, um, the, 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 the parity, especially this season. I mean, how many weeks we're talking about anyone can beat anyone. Obviously, it didn't come true in the end. And I think we're going to look at the season differently because the Chiefs repeated as compared right. to— absolutely. You know, week sixteen, we were like, "It's anyone Super Bowl," and now we're like, "Oh, of course, it was the it was the Chiefs again." Like, but I mean, in terms of like the number of dynamic quarterbacks, the the coaching mm-hmm. carousel, the defensive players, like, I do feel like the NFL is in a really really great place in terms of mm-hmm. talent. It's a great place in terms of culture, and it's it's never been in a better place in terms of entertainment. Mm-hmm. I think I mean it was a really fun year, um, and I think I think honestly I mean that's a perfect that's a perfect segue, yeah, for us to talk about really what is. I don't know. I mean, I, I think the NFL is, for the first time in recent memory, um, though obviously it is the biggest sport in America. The NFL for the first time is the center of American culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not entirely its own doing, obviously. Um, and I think that's an interesting, interesting kind of point to leave this the football conversation, um, because we do need to talk about Taylor Swift. Yeah, we talked about the first game that she showed up, and we talked about how it added two million new fans to the broadcast, and the yep. majority of those are women. And she continued to come. She yep. never made a big deal about it. She brought her celebrity friends. She didn't speak to the press. She came in. She came out. She supported her boyfriend. She went on the field when they won the AFC Championship. She went on the field when she won the Super Bowl. She was in every way a perfectly normal NFL girlfriend who also mm-hmm. happens to be the most famous person on the planet. And <laughs> it's a remarkable time. Uh, my wife wore... A sweater, a sweatshirt that she custom ordered from Etsy to the Super Bowl that said in my Chiefs era with Travis Kelsey's name and number on it. And somehow, I don't know how this happened. Megan knew at any point in the game how many times Travis Kelsey caught the ball. She knew how many times the camera cut Taylor Swift. I've never seen her so engaged in football before ever. Literally ever. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I mean, that's obviously the power of Taylor Swift, but it also just speaks to the fact that in many ways, the NFL and this weekend more so than any other was that was the center of culture that speaks mm-hmm. to the halftime show. Like Usher, Usher got married during Super Bowl weekend as part of Did him. He? Yeah. I didn't he know got, that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Usher got married this weekend as part of the Super Bowl festivities. he obviously did the halftime show. He brought out, just a murderer's row of talent in terms of the halftime show. Um, Taylor was there. She yeah, made it back from her Japan concert or whatever. And I, I'm, I think that we'll, we'll look at the Nielsen ratings when they come out tomorrow. I didn't know that last year's Super Bowl was the second 
largest viewed television event of all time behind only mm-hmm. the near like the moon landing um behind the moon that that's it yeah oh my goodness yeah at least in the u.s i'm that's sure incredible. like the world cup does more yeah not the world yeah, yeah, yeah but in the right, u.s right. but the u.s i i have every expectation that the super bowl had more viewership than last year's mm-hmm. and i don't i don't know if it'll push neil armstrong <laughs> but um <laughs> but if anyone's gonna give Neil Armstrong a run for its money, it's those it's the twenty seconds of Taylor Swift that we saw during the CBS broadcast, and mm-hmm. yeah, I I think it's gonna do a, a huge number. Like I I I I don't I don't know how to like guess a number by proportion to what it should be, right. but if it doesn't do five or six percent more than last year, I would be completely stunned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's genuinely remarkable um it just feels like a really such a random thing that happened this year um this year i don't know i think like the enduring image of this chief season for me is going to be travis kelsey screaming into the microphone after winning the super bowl with taylor swift just kind of like awkwardly standing by as he's singing viva las vegas <laughs> and i think like that to me is the funniest part of this like having seen travis kelsey on tv in so many different ways over the years hearing him literally yell at the mayor of cincinnati um for him to kind of become like connected to the taylor swift phenomenon i think is like perhaps maybe one of like the least expected if you asked me who would taylor swift be dating in the nfl and i didn't know i think i would go through probably like 40 people Jimmy before Garoppolo, getting to travis kelsey <laughs> joe, <laughs> joe burrow <laughs> josh allen <laughs> I'm just gonna. No, I'm just gonna. I won't. I won't. Yeah. Genuinely. Yeah. It just seems so unlikely, and so I think that's part of what has made it such a cultural phenomenon. Along with the fact that she seemed just kind of willing to go along with it, and not obviously like people complain on Twitter and whatever, but really she's not making that much noise other than showing up. Yeah. Um, I mean, Travis also is someone who had before has already been trying to be part of the larger NFL media brand. Like his, sure. he was already someone who wanted to be part of this. Like, I don't think Joe Burrow has a podcast about football with his brother. Like, nope. like I mean, like, nope. like Travis was already trying to be more than just a football player in terms mm-hmm. of the NFL media. And so from that perspective, it does make a lot of sense. Obviously, like in terms of just brunt fame, you would think he would be with, she would be the quarterback, obviously, over mm-hmm over uh, Kelsey. But it, I mean, when you think about it, it does make a lot of sense in terms That's of the, the big personality he wants to be. I will, I will say as he was screaming Viva Las Vegas into the microphone <laughs> up there on the award stage, Jim Nance said, and I quote, Elvis has never sounded better. And I would just like to say, Jim Nance, you're a liar. <laughs> it's not true. We're going to clip that. We're going to clip that. It's not true. <laughs> In fact, Elvis has probably never sounded worse, Jim. <laughs> well, Jim. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think you're right. I think it's it, it in many ways has been the year of Taylor. She was an NFL fan for a year and already won a Super Bowl. 
um, and now she gets year. to. It's really un- yeah, rookie of the year. It's really unfortunate because um, I would like to say that now Taylor will get to experience what the rest of us experience, which is then never winning a Super Bowl again. But unfortunately, if she keeps staying with Travis Kelsey, they'll win like five more. That's so, right. That's right. Uh, so it's really not a it's really not fair. Um, some people have it all, um, but uh, you know I can only hope that one day the Tennessee Titans will uh, will make it to that spot. Your, your time is coming. Your time is coming. My time maybe is not, coming. Maybe not the maybe not the celebrity dating, but maybe a, maybe a game is, is in your maybe, future. Maybe maybe. John, but speaking of the Super Bowl in culture, we do need to briefly mention the commercials. We do. This, this was not a really good slate of commercials. Let me talk to you about my process. What I do is I write a long list as the game is going on of the commercials I like. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of like an objective threshold of like ones I think will be interesting. And I expected that I would get to at least 10 and then I could like mm-hmm. narrow it down from. I only got to six that I even like put on my long list. And let me just say, as we we're going to do some talking about the commercials and like just keep in mind that we're talking about like the stereotypical Super Bowl commercials that are funny and have celebrities. We're not mm-hmm. talking about like the Jesus commercials or the Stop the Jewish Violence Blue Square commercials or the yeah. RFK presidential commercials. Like, like <laughs> maybe we should talk about that one. But <laughs> maybe we should. But like, but like, I'm not here to say that like Dunkin' yeah, Donuts no. is more important than Stop Jewish Hate. I'm just saying right. that's a serious commercial that I'm glad happened. But that's mm-hmm. not the vein of what we're talking about. So please don't like right. come at me because I put Arnold Schwarzenegger over like. <laughs> painting over swastikas like i understand. I promise i promise i won't come after you okay thank you um yes you're welcome for that um <laughs> <laughs> would you like would you uh, like to talk about rfk for a minute or are you are we- well well i want to start by telling you a little bit about my super bowl experience not really to get into details um i was at my church in a really big room um by the second half we were in front of big projectors there were speakers um like very loud speakers it was a nice it was a nice time watching football on the big screen um i kind of kept up with the ads for the first half and to be honest when the second half and overtime finished i realized that i had completely tuned out all of the ads wow in the second half that's rare for you yeah so i did go back and watch some yeah but like i realized that i had just i had completely zoned out they were that uninteresting to me like Mm -hmm. subconsciously that i just like i lost all like i was treating them just like regular ads during an nfl game like i had forgotten that super bowl ads existed yeah in that moment until i like and exited the trance and i was like oh did i what were there ads on like so that's where i'm coming from is like to me, this was maybe the most disappointing Super Bowl ad year of all time. Yeah. Uh, how many do you have on your list? Uh, I have five that I wanted to highlight that I thought were funny. Okay, let's do let's do five. Uh, we'll do okay. this the we'll same way each. that we did. Uh, we'll do this the same way that we did our our movie <laughs> ranking. So if we're talking about it higher on the list, we'll save it for later. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number five was the Mountain Dew ad with Aubrey Plaza and Nick Offerman. Okay. Did you have this? I don't know that I saw that one. Okay. <laughs> it was, it was, I mean, it's very much just Aubrey Plaza doing her deadpan humor right. in, in weird scenarios. And then Nick Offerman shows up for like three seconds. And I'm like, hey, those are people I like. Good times. Yep. 
we all love Nivik Offerman, so okay. I, I, yeah. I support you. I think my number five was the messy one. I thought he was just kind of like kind of funny. He was just dribbling a soccer ball around on the beach, which was always enjoyable, and it's great to see uh, a star of the real football, you know, appearing during this yeah. game. And Dan- also Dan Marino. So and Jason Sudeikis. And Jason Sudeikis. It was yeah. the ultimate crossover episode of everything American and soccer. So I, I had fun. Good. My number four was the YouTube Sunday ticket commercial where they had the, the Seahawks, the Ravens, and the Eagles as like birds. But instead of real birds, it was like players in the uniforms of those teams like flying around. Um, I support that. Clever concept. Mm-hmm. I liked I thought, yeah, I had a good time. Okay. Yeah. My number four was uh, Michael Sarah. I don't have that one. For uh, for uh, was it for Cetaphil? No, it was for Sarah V. Oh, Sarah V. Right, right, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a very clever, um, you know, finding an actor that matched with their name, which yeah. I just thought was lovely. And Michael Sarah is really weird, but I enjoy him in almost all appearances he makes in popular culture. So he's, he's it was great. nice to see him. Yeah, yeah, he's really yeah, great. Those, and those the fact that the product is named Sarah is just really funny. Yeah, it's just yeah. deeply funny. Yeah. You, ha- you have to do it. <laughs> My number three is the BMW Christopher Walken ad. Mm, That's great work. Okay. I think that's my number two, but I think we should talk about it. Okay, we'll talk about it now. Um, Basically, Christopher Walken is just going about his day-to-day life, and every person (laughs) he interacts with starts talking to him as him. (laughs) (laughs) And I just love the way Christopher Walken talks. It's I'm, really enjoyable. I love. I I really hope that he just talks as Christopher Walken when he plays the Emperor in Dune Two, and I'm just yeah. I I love to see Christopher Walken out and about. He's one of our greatest actors, and uh, I lo- yeah. I love his voice. It's very it's very distinct, and so the commercial makes sense because everyone knows exactly what's going on. I hate to say it, but like if I saw Christopher Walken in public. I would also talk to him in a Christopher Walken voice. And he would hate so, you. <laughs> and he would hate me, but like I got what I wanted out of that interaction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It'd have been worth it. Uh, I guess my number three, I think my number three is probably the Arnold State Farm ad. Do you have uh, that? Yeah. A number two. Yep. Yeah. Go. go okay. For it. All right. Okay. So Arnold is basically, shoot, what's the word he's trying to say? Neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just Arnold Schwarzenegger just mispronouncing words in his wonderful Austrian accent. Um, and Danny DeVito makes a surprise cameo. Yeah. He's just trying to film an ad and, you know, everyone's just complaining. I'm like, you signed up Arnold to say things in a weird voice. Mm-hmm. Why are you complaining about him being Arnold? You should have done your research on your casting beforehand. Look, I'm I'm a simple man with simple tastes, and if Arnold Schwarzenegger says the word "chapa" in your commercial, <laughs> it's going in my top five. There are yeah. no questions asked. It is a cheat code, and it works every single time, and I love it. It was lovely work from Arnold. I was really I was really happy for him. So that was my number two. Your was number, number two, two was the BMW. So I That's right. I hope we have the same number one. I think we have the the joint number one, and it is our glorious actor duo. C- come on. Yeah. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Dung Kings, the best ad at the Super Bowl. With, and it was actually funny. With Tom Brady. With Tom Brady. With Jennifer Lopez. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of flirtation between Jennifer Lopez and Tom Brady. Yeah, I was a little concerned little, about little, that. Little, I was little, like, uh-oh. <laughs> Watch uh, out, Ben. Ben Affleck shows up at uh, Jennifer Lopez's work to uh, audition as one mm-hmm. of the Dunk Kings. He has uh, pulled along with him a very game DJ Tom Brady. And a very, very, I don't want to be here vibe, Matt Damon. 
Which, again, we've talked about this this year. Late stage, grumpy, doesn't want to be here, Matt Damon, is one of the best things to happen to modern popular culture. They are one of the greatest Hollywood duos of all time. Their friendship. Are they the greatest? Oh, oh man. Can you think of, I mean, like, I don't want to be unfair if I don't have enough knowledge. Is De Niro, Scorsese a duo? Because I would, I mean, I wouldn't put it over. Yeah, they probably are. You're yeah, right. yeah. They're not like a buddy cop duo in the no, same way. No, no, like no, Matt no, Damon no. And, and Ben Affleck are right. the buddy cops right. of Hollywood. But you're right. De Niro and Scorsese have like yeah. ruled Hollywood. Right. Basically since they came on. So that's yeah. But nobody's doing it quite like Ben and Matt. You know, they were best friends mm-hmm. as kids. Group goes actors together. Just, just the best. Awesome. Like awesome when they, when they, when you saw clips of them coming up to each other at the Golden Globes, yeah, and immediately you see the dap up, and you're like, oh, those are homies. Like those are yeah, not just yeah. actors who work together. Sure. I was like, sure. the amount of times I have sat down at an event next to one of my friends mm-hmm. and started talking in that exact manner is it's too many to count. Yeah, so that's top five best. I didn't even acknowledge the worst. I know you you've put some time into the worst. I yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rank them. I'm just I just want to shout out a few strange decisions. Um, RFK, but apparently there was like a super cap super pack ad. Supposedly RFK didn't make that. Um, he did but make still. it his pinned tweet on his Twitter profile though, despite yeah, having just, quote unquote nothing to do with it. It's just a little odd, you know, strange move. Um, Mr. T and Skechers. That was just inexcusably bad. It felt like a used car lot ad. Um, I I don't know who participated in that. Skechers Skechers is the one brand that pays a lot of money to celebrities that quite literally no one cares about. (laughs) That's absolutely right. And that's exemplified by the fact that, unfortunately, Tony Romo was in that ad. Yes, he was. And... And he's very much on the down and out. Unlike, I want to briefly talk about this. Unlike Tom Brady, who has appeared in many an ad this year and will be in the booth next year in a big way. Yeah, we're here for it. Well, I'm interested to see how mm-hmm. he does. Um, two other unfortunate shout outs. One was Pfizer, which is just a deeply uncanny valley Um strangely produced ad that made me feel very uncomfortable (laughs) and you know if you're trying to inspire confidence in vaccines i don't i don't i don't know what that branding decision was but anyway i i was not paying attention to this wasn't as much because uh my good friend joe rushi who i was watching the game with who's listening to this podcast was rage screaming at pfizer (laughs) the entire time and so i got a little distracted as he was that's decrying the medical profiteering of pfizer so that's mildly distracting. Yeah, but it was. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, uh, <laughs> and then I want to. Unfortunately, this breaks my heart. This is the last thing we're going to talk can't about. Believe you're doing this to him. I can't. <laughs> I just have to say, I sincerely hope that Martin Scorsese did not, in fact, direct that Squarespace ad, um, because in general, I say Marty can do no wrong, um, but that was that was not good. Can I so. talk about this ad? Sure, go ahead and be my guest. I really like the concept of the ad. And I don't want to like dissect mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese's no. Squarespace no. ad in the same way that I dissect Killers of the Flower Moon. But the idea that people would literally miss an alien <laughs> an alien sighting because we're all so busy being on your screens is mm-hmm. like cultural commentary that I'm kind of interested in. You're the right. Fact, the fact that it's a website ad... <laughs> It's a little weird, and I'm also really not sure what Martin Scorsese is 
doing in the ad as an actor because mm-hmm. like I know he's I know he just pulled it off really well in Cause of the Flower Moon and like really really nailed it but like he doesn't I guess if we're in the era where, where Martin Scorsese's face is now closing every Martin Scorsese project that might have some hits <laughs> but it might also have some misses <laughs> and this might be one of the misses but like you raise a profound point like if he was going to make a short film about the whole world literally not seeing an alien invasion because we're all so busy being on our phones i'd be like cool movie bro but like when it's a commercial for a website company it doesn't work for me there's a little bit of irony there that does feel confusing yeah Um, i would like to say that an asteroid city like a wes anderson martin scorsese team up for that short film would be wonderful just want to put that out there that'd be really good it'd be really good much better than this ad sorry Marty. yeah john We've talked about football and entertainment and culture, mm-hmm. and I think this last project is, is, is really going to bring all of this home for us. Okay. And, um, so we're going to talk I, about this. I we're do. I, do we have time? Okay. I think we have time. I think it's important enough. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, and we won't spend too much time on this because not a lot of details are announced, but Disney, which includes ESPN, and Warner Brothers Discovery, which owns Bleacher Report, and Fox have mm-hmm. announced that they are creating a merged streaming service specifically for live sporting events and that they will be sharing their rights with each other to create what is essentially a bundle of live channels to watch sports. Sound mm-hmm. familiar, anyone? <laughs> and What um, could it be? There's a lot we don't know yet. Like We don't know if this is going to be just an add-on to people who own the individual apps. Like if you have Max, you will get this. Or if you have Disney Plus, you will get this. Or if this is going to be a separate streaming service that is more similar to cable. We don't know if this is going to be included with a regular HBO Max subscription. Or if it's going to be an add-on to Max or Disney Plus. We don't know if Fox is now going to be making a streaming service to roll this out. So there's a lot we don't know. Mm-hmm. But here's what I do know, John. The way that sports rights are tangled in and around all these companies is incredibly confusing. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for more clarity because like four different places have the rights to the NFL and three different places have the rights to the NBA. And it just gets really, really confusing. And sometimes you just want to sit down and watch some football, man. And um, so I, I would love to get your reaction, and then I would like to talk briefly about mm. what's interesting about who's not part of this merger. Right. I think I think it's interesting for a lot of reasons. I think one of them is the fragmentation of media that's been happening over the last few years, and the fact that this is essentially, you know, a rebuttal to that. Um, you know, when I think about, I, I made a list of the various places that you can watch sports right now mentally. Um, And that is ESPN, ABC, Fox, TNT, True TV, TBS, um, NBC slash Peacock, CBS slash Paramount, and also Amazon Prime. Those are kind of the big areas. And also Apple TV, and also YouTube TV TV. for Sunday Ticket, and also USA Network for the Premier League. Like, right. I mean, we're yeah, just kind of yeah. part of the NBC family, sure, but yeah. Sure. Um, so you sort of have those those big areas, mm-hmm. right? So when we take this subset of the ESPN channels, ABC and Fox, and then those 
what I think of as like the NBA channels. So TNT, True TV, and TBS. Is that we're what all- Warner Brothers Discovery owns? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that's what we're putting together in this mega package. Then we're left with sports basically in a few primary areas. Um, the Super App, Peacock slash NBC, CBS slash Paramount, Amazon Prime, um, Sunday Ticket. It's and on Apple YouTube TV. and Apple TV and Apple TV. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so you kind of have those, those fragments out there. Um, and you're right. It is confusing because to be able to follow any one sport, you have to be in all these different areas at once. And I think the reason that this is happening is ultimately because these streaming services know that they're losing money. Yeah. You know, the, the the streaming experiment of splitting all this coverage into a million different areas and hoping that everyone who wants to see it will keep up and pay each individual one enough money to keep them afloat does not work. The only company that is making this work right now is Netflix. Netflix has figured out a way to make this profitable. Not a single other streaming service has done it, including Disney, who is hemorrhaging money left and right through Disney+. Plus. Um, and so Disney is essentially the driver, I think, of this whole deal of bringing Warner Bros. and Fox together and saying, let's pool our resources. Um, let's try to make something work that's going to make sure that people are going to get some bang for their buck and they're guaranteed going to have to subscribe to this as a user to like get what they want. Yeah. Uh, I think it, I think it makes sense. Um, but I think this is not by any means the end product. Yeah, I, I think this is a sign of one of two things. One, it's a sign that these companies who are doing this have properly noticed that people actually wanted cable all along and are bringing that right. back, and it's going to mm-hmm. be a success. That's option one. Option two is that these content companies know that they are about to die to the tech companies and mm-hmm. this is their last gasp effort to merge and try to be strong enough to hold on before they are swept under the waves of Amazon and Apple and Google, as we know is happening. Because the reality is for a company like Disney, for a company like Max, for a company like Fox, content is everything. Entertainment is, is their right. entire model. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sports is a tax write-off for Apple. Sunday ticket, Google could subsidize, could just give Sunday ticket out for free and it would be a, a marginable, marginal part of their profit margin. They could just give it to right. the entire world and it would be nothing. Yep. Apple could buy the NBA. I'm not talking about the rights. I'm talking about the entire league. Yep. <laughs> Make NBA games, Apple Vision Pro exclusives mm-hmm. and probably wouldn't lose a single dollar. Like I mean, they would lose some dollars, uh, they would, but yeah, like but absolutely, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I get point taken. Yeah, so like like the, the battle is just not fair when these tech companies are so big hmm. are, and are in so many different things that sports become a really small part of it. Because for for Disney, sports is so important, and for mm-hmm. Warner Brothers Discovery, when Barbie is making two billion dollars or whatever, like I hope I hope Dune does amazing, but like they really really need sports. Amazon, you can tell which companies don't need it. Amazon, Google, Apple, they're doing this just for funsies. Like, it's just for fun. And if these tech companies want to bury traditional media and just take over sports, 
they are in a financial position to do so if the leagues allow them to. And so mm. I do I do see this as an attempt by the quote unquote traditional media companies to just hold on and tread water for now. Huh. That's a really interesting take. Um it drew parallels in my mind with what we've seen, funnily enough, from Saudi Arabia over the last couple of years um, in a little bit of a different way, sure. right? But it's the same conundrum, right? Which is you have a struggling economic force in some areas. The NFL is obviously not economically struggling, um, but a lot of other sports are to a greater or lesser degree and sports media absolutely is constantly battling. Um, and you have media machines we're not media machines, but tech machines who are willing to engage some of their money essentially to drive their brand. Mm -hmm. Apple's like Apple made killers of the flower moon for Martin Scorsese for basically like, I don't think it even made its money back in terms of the budget. They just gave it to them. Basically. They just said, go make a movie. Yeah. Make us look good. Yeah. You know, um, win us an Oscar, you know, which unfortunately will not, probably, most likely. Not, but, but, you know, it'll, it, no, it'll win one, but it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We'll do that. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, that, that is the kind of money that Apple's playing around with. Apple yeah. dumped a ton of movie into Argyle, money into Argyle just now, which was just a terrible movie. And they just, they yeah. won't, no I mean, one bl- would blink an eye. Apple could give the entire population of the U.S. free movie tickets to every single one of their movies off of just what they make off the iPhone. Oh, easily. Yeah. I mean, it, it, again, yeah, it's, it's nothing. So I think what's interesting about this is that I don't think any of these companies are interested in of those three tech giants. They're not interested, I don't think, in buying out the entire entertainment industry because that's just something that they don't need attached to their brand. Um, but we are seeing them get a lot more involved. They'll Ultimately, those companies are still about making profits. And the problem is not that the current rights holders are not profitable. The problem is that it's hard to make a profit in this industry, right? Mm. And they're struggling. But, I mean, if Apple bought all the rights, they're still going to struggle to make that same money back as a business but, decision. But when it's right? not as big a part of your market share, it's so important. Like again, Right, like, but the question is, I mean, you, can't take the, you can't take the hit for that forever sure. right? as a like, businessman. How important are sports to, yes, to, Apple, to, to the ABC company, to the Disney Corporation? compared mm-hmm. to like whatever it is to like it's so much more important because right. they that is their entire business like like prime shipping will subsidize the NFL for as long as Amazon wants it to I guess mm-hmm. is my is my point. yeah yeah no I think you're right and I think I think we will see more of this start to coalesce um as companies I think these companies will try to cut more deals with each other if they keep shipping money in the yeah. way that they are yeah um I briefly want to just touch on Netflix because Netflix is just the most intriguing case here in that they've found a way to make their model work. And they're also jumping into live sports, which has not been the case before. Is that true? As far as I know. Aren't they with the, they bought out the WWE rights. Oh, I'm not familiar with this. I must. I, you haven't I heard about this? I, no, I don't know how I missed this. Yeah. I thought, I, the thought w- they were at, I thought Peacock had them. No, the WWE Raw um, show is moving to Netflix. Wow. In huh. like, it is a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and the fact that Netflix thinks that they can make that be profitable is 
kind of incredible because Netflix mm-hmm. is on its own as an entertainment only company um, that has no ties to any of these other big corporations. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's never going to be as big a company as Google or something like that. Um, but I think what they're doing is, you know, I don't honestly understand the entertainment industry enough to be like, this is why Netflix is better than everyone else. But they have found a winning formula that is beating every single other company out there. And well, I think that's remarkable. They were a known brand before streaming. Right. They were the first to streaming. And they paid a lot of money to be mm-hmm. both prestigious and mainstream. Mm-hmm. In the sense that they... Like, their what was their first original show was David Fincher. Like David Fincher created House of Cards as their right. first thing. They, they've, they've cared both about, like they do love is blind and they also do Oscar movies. Every, like they're, they're kind of the model mm-hmm. that Apple wants to be, which is, I think that's true. Right. App, I think Apple cares less about being mainstream and more about being prestigious. Like they're not doing reality TV. They're only doing masters of the air and Codes of the flower moon. Right. But Netflix is doing maestro and it's also doing trash reality TV shows and it has the complete monopoly on docu-series. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, it does all the World War II and color stuff. Like, they... they Do you they think have, it's brand recognition more than it's anything? It's brand recognition and they've... Interesting. And they're they're good enough at so many different types of entertainment. Like, mm-hmm. if you want Peacock, you're going for The Office or, like, maybe a couple movies a year or, like, the the, the actual NBC network shows. Whereas, or the League. Sure. Whereas That's Netflix... Netflix yeah has reality TV, prestige movies, documentaries, original, like there's just so, mm-hmm. so, so much. Huh. And I, that's why I think they have been able, like their subscriber retention right. is so much higher because they have so much more to offer at a higher quality than any of their competitors do with the exception of possibly Apple, but Apple just doesn't have as large of a library. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. I think they do have the best rotating collection of content at any time of any of the services but like even if i cut but, every but, single one i'd right. always keep netflix but to say that even netflix still wanted to buy all the warner brothers movies this year like they they bought mm-hmm. the rights to have dune and the batman back on there because they know that even they have to keep it fresh and that means right writing a check to warner brothers discovery even though they're technically the bigger and more important service hmm. yeah yeah i think that's interesting i think that's an incredibly good point um, I think the future ultimately is that most of these streaming services will die. I think we'll be left with a few. I think the ultimate future is that we'll be left with a few big ones coalesced under different companies. I think Netflix will survive. I think that we probably will have maybe two other big ones under various titles. Um, I, I don't the think we'll is, ever go be, to a. Will they be owned by tech companies, media companies, or standalone companies? is kind of it's kind of is going to be the biggest question. Yeah, I think that we'll end up with probably one like Disney-centered media conglomerate, maybe one Apple-centered media conglomerate and then Netflix. And Netflix. That's where yeah. I think this ends. And then I think we'll still have live TV in some capacity. I don't think that's ever going to go away in the immediate future in terms of streaming mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that I think this is a serious risk to live tv if you can pick and choose even more at a a more affordable rate if this can make things cheaper if the prices get pushed down 
by these conglomerates kind of pooling their resources, that's a real threat to cable. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't, none of us watch cable TV really. No. Right. No. I use Google. We watch I it use, for sports. Right. No, but even if you use YouTube TV, oh, sure. you yeah, watch it for yeah. sports. Right. The channel, like TV coming to you in channels is just for sports. Oh, correct. And then there are some yeah. people who, who, there may be people out there, right. I'm sure, who still watch regular TV, but that if is not I, the way the if future. If I want to watch Meg 2 Cole in the Trench, I'm not going to TNT's guide to no. see when they're going to have it on. I'm, I'm heading mm-hmm. right over to Max or whatever. Yeah. That's exactly no, right. You're exactly so right. So I think, I think, I think there will be a future. And I think on-demand stuff is ultimately better than cable. So we're never going to go back to that model. Mm-hmm. You know, none of us want that. Right. Um, but I think we will see more pooled resources in the long run. Um, whether that's going to be good for the consumer or not is another story entirely. And that, Chad, is why we do what? Why we collect physical media. That's exactly correct. Good answer. <laughs> I'm, I'm staring at lovingly at my collection of Blu-rays as we speak, John. A collection that is only continuing to grow day by day. I do think that, um, yeah, I think that's a great, a great positive note to leave the podcast, but also a really good discussion to leave it on as obviously the mm-hmm. NFL is going to be a huge part of this. And Roger Goodell came out again this year and said that the Super Bowl will not be on, will not be streaming only as long as he's alive. Nope. So... It'll be interesting to see how this Raj. continues to, to play out, but it's an interesting conversation to think about like a year from now, are we going to have some sort of merged live cable adjacent sports thing? It seems like that's most likely going to be the case. So the, the, the winds of entertainment are constantly on the move, John. And that's why there's a podcast like Crunchy Tackles here to help people make sense of the madness and navigate the culture around these games. And, uh, I have had a great football season here with you. I feel like we've it's talked more football this year than we have ever before. And um, more Taylor Swift than you've ever wanted to talk about in your entire life. <laughs> and so I, I thank you for bearing with me as we've done so. And um, yeah, it's been a great a great way to recap what was an awesome Super Bowl and a really, really fun, fun football year. It was. An absolute pleasure, as always, podcasting with you, sir. We hope you listeners have enjoyed. Obviously, we're not going anywhere. Uh, but the NFL season is over, and so we'll be pivoting away to other things. We will. Um, but I thought it was a really fun time, and thank you, Chad, for uh, for participating in football talk, even when you didn't want to so many times throughout this year. <laughs> thank you for making me. I, um, <laughs> the Steelers waved Mitchell Trubisky today, so I think my, my 2024 yeah. is already looking better. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else before we get out of here? Nope. Okay. I just can't wait for Dune 2. I know. That's- Yep. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Speaking of Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, until you until next time, we hope that you all continue to be well and be safe and we'll talk to you later. All right. Cheers, guys.